You know, it was like a great first date, and then everything after that was Crazy X time. Radio Drome. It's a full moon here at Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil Full Moon Maniac Trachtenberg. I'm not gonna like do a wolf howl or anything, but you know that's cool. We're we're still into our Charles Band month. We're obviously looking at Full Moon, as you guys heard at the beginning. Before we get into Full Moon, if you guys still want to moon something, you go to AdamandEve.com. You use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So that said, we've now left the Empire era. Charles Band has decided after Empire didn't work out. Remember, that was all based in Italy. And he figured out, you know what, this is just, it's too expensive. Because you've got a, yes, he had the facility and you could shoot much cheaper in Italy and make it look like America, but you had to bring over the actors from Hollywood, then you had to pay for their hotels and their food and their per diems and then fly them back, and then you had to pay the locals, and it just, with Empire's problems, it just wasn't worth it anymore. So, he said, screw it back to Los Angeles, and took what he had left after Empire and made Full Moon Pictures. I'll get into all the different Full Moon eras in a minute. How did Full Moon impact you initially? Full Moon, I don't exactly remember. because What happened was I was watching a movie, and it had a trailer for Trancers 2, and I was like, I need to see this. I need this in my life. So uh, I went... And I got, it was either, uh, I can't remember if it was either Transfers 2 or Bad Channels. One or the other, I believe, was uh, was my first Full Moon movie. And I saw it and fell in love. And Full Moon movies, they front-loaded them with so many trailers. And this was back in the day when, you know, VCRs and stuff were still relatively, uh, I don't want to say new, but it was like, you weren't blasting This is 1990. Yeah, this is 1992. So you're not, you're not blasting, like now, when you put in a DVD and you have to sit through 50 trailers, you're like, ugh. But like back then, it was kind of exciting because these were trailers and whatnot that you hadn't seen before and you're not inundated with them like you are now. So back then, I would, you know, hey, throw in a full moon movie. Let's see what we got. Oh, crap. We have, uh, you know, all these cool trailers for movies that I absolutely want to see. I went on a, uh, a binge and uh, just rented as many as I could and just fell in love with them. They all just had a, a charm to them and they were fun and exciting and, uh, uh, they felt very comic booky, and being that I was a young comic book fan, that kind of fit in. Which I know now that was kind of the the angle 
that they were going for. So that was my full moon introduction. I just uh, I, I saw some of them. I fell in love with them. And just uh, th- that love never ended. You, you mentioned how they were front-loaded with trailers. They were also back-loaded. Now, Full Moon Video Zone doesn't exist quite yet at this point. But he put on... The, the very first Full Moon release would technically be Puppet Master in 1989, which is actually a holdover from Empire in reality. You know, I, I know there's... Technically, it was made for Full Moon, but for all intents and purposes, it's a holdover from Empire. And for, In fact, his first three films from Full Moon are basically Empire higher holdovers and there's even one way later too he came up with let's give the fans something extra because one of the things you have to remember at this time these were not made to buy these were made for the rental market up until 1995 all of full moon's output were 80 to 90 dollar to buy tapes these were not the 14.99 you grab them at Best Buy kind of things. These were made to be rented, and that was it. That's why he front loaded them with trailers to show you other things you might be interested in renting. So his first three releases, he put a making of on there, and then after that, pretty much all the way up until I think it was 2012, he had what you and I both love: the Full Moon Video Zone, which is a 25 to 30 minute making of specifically about every single movie that full moon made in that era yeah it was just great it was the uh it was like the dvd extras before dvd extras it was i I love tuning into them because they would have uh i know some of the later ones they had like charlie spradling would host them and uh she would talk about uh charlie band would host the early ones well yeah charles band hosted the early ones uh but you know i mean he kind of got the sex appeal so he put charlie uh he put charlie spradling in there and she'd talk about uh, the video zone she'd talk about toys and the merch and all that stuff and uh it was just uh it was exciting. It was different. It was cool. It was something that uh, the big movie studios weren't going to be doing for quite a while. Technically, this is from a big movie studio, though. Right out of the gate, Charles made a deal with Paramount for distribution. So that's how, up until 1995, all of Full Moon stuff for direct-to-video had pretty decent budgets, usually a million to a million five for a direct-to-video feature. And that's not bad because there was a certain level of quality he would not dip below. That changes later, but there's a certain level of quality he will not dip below. And with Paramount's distribution, that gives him a much bigger in and a huge leg up on Roger Corman and Lloyd Kaufman, his two biggest competitors at this point. Even though he admits it's all friendly competition, they are still his competitors. But here's where teaming up with a corporation kind of hurt him. Paramount said those video zones add X amount of extra weight to all of these tapes, and we're shipping tens of thousands of these tapes. They wanted him to drop the full moon video zones because it made the shipping more expensive. So he believed in this concept so much, he took that out of his end. Paramount made him pay to keep the full moon video zones on there. It shows, though, that he believed in it. He saw the value of it. And I appreciated that because that was something that made me want to watch them and watch all the additional stuff. And also, he would often, uh, there would often be stuff in there that would push, uh, as I said, the merch and all that. It made me want to go get that additional stuff and do what companies love to do, spend more money on their stuff. So it worked. But that that's right there starts to show the corporate mindset 
and how I don't want to say he was fighting the system because he was trying to become a lower echelon of the system, but it shows the difference between the indie mindset and a corporate mindset. Here was here was the other problem, before we start to get into the films themselves, here was the other problem that he had with Paramount. The, one of the reasons that sequels were coming out so dramatically, especially for the Puppet Master series, was they were his best sellers, so Paramount kept demanding more and more Puppet Master movies. And even you will admit, as much as you love them, as the numbers start to grow, the quality goes down dramatically, doesn't it? Yeah, they um as they tick higher, the the quality definitely did tick lower. Cause, I mean, like Puppet Master One is kind of the 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 all the black sheep in a sense that it's so dramatically different from the other ones because that one was like I said, that one really does feel more like an Empire film, which is really what it was. You know what? And now that I'm saying it, I'm thinking, uh, God, I think I even said this before. My my brain is so lost. I believe that Puppet Master Two was my first full moon movie, and on Puppet Master Two was when I saw the trailer for Transfers 2 and then that was the one like like Puppet Master 2 I loved and then I saw the trailer for Transfers 2 and then that solidified my love and then Bad Channels and so on and so forth from there yeah Puppet Master 2 was just great and then Puppet Master 3 was was uh, just excellent 4 was was good and 5 was a little near was was 5 the clip show 6 was uh, the clip show I, I think it was uh, that was Curse of Puppet Master I, I think they stopped they stopped numbering them after 5 for a while and then went back to numbering them later basically once they got to the one that was the clip show then that was when it got really frustrating because it was like i you know you wait so long and then oh it's here oh it's 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 just like i mean i think there was like maybe five minutes of new content and then it was uh you know all clips from the previous ones and that was kind of a letdown for all intents and purposes full moon started with 1990s crash and burn but prior to that as I said, he took a few Empire things with him, and that would be the three films that come before Crash and Burn. There's, I, I'm going to be changing labels here constantly because every couple of years he would rebrand, which is not necessarily a bad idea. But you had Full Moon Productions, which brought us Puppet Master, Meridian, Kiss of the Beast, and Shadow Zone. And then after that, he went to Full Moon Entertainment, and then that's when the logo we recognize came on, the Full Moon Video Zones, and there was Full Moon before there was Full Moon. We start off with, really, when you think about it, when you look at Puppet Master, Meridian, and Shadow Zone, they don't feel like Full Moon. Those those three really do feel like what they are. Empire holdovers, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they kind of do. Crash and Burn, I think, being the first true full moon film, the first film made specifically for this new venture, I think it sets a perfect tone. I think, because coming out of the gate for full moon here, you've got Crash and Burn, Dial Man, and Pit and the Pendulum with Lance Henriksen and Jeffrey Combs. Not a bad way to start. No, not at all. Now, the thing was, I didn't come back to them until later, like I saw them after the fact. But uh, yeah, just a, a, a stellar, you know, came out swinging. One of the weird things in is, and, and this does go to the whole Empire Full Moon thing. Now, Crash and Burn is not a sequel to Robot Jocks, even though in foreign countries it's sold as Robot Jocks too. So that even solidifies more people thinking it's an actual sequel. But tonally, with Robot Jocks being the last, in reality, Empire film, because 
as we pointed out, Arena and a couple of others wouldn't come out till years later. But the last, at the time, Empire film, and then Crash and Burn being the first full moon film, it really kind of acted as a nice transition. I really liked Megan Ward, and so that that made it a little bit easier too. But yeah, it uh, it, it was like a nice little transition because coming off of Robot Jocks, that having the post-apocalyptic future and whatnot, and then having and the giant animatronic and the giant stop motion robot and the giant stop motion robot. But what I'm saying is that and then you could potentially see that something like Crash and Burn would be the aftermath of that. Okay, the the society has collapsed. We're you know there's just a few people left. There's some TV stations and there are robots, but they're junk now and they're uh, they're out of use. And so that was kind of the whole thing with Crash and Burn was that uh, they did have this robot on their property, but it had been sitting there for X amount of years. And the other evil robot managed to, or no, the other evil robot was there killing everybody. And then they managed to, uh, you know, get the thing working again to step on the other robot. Bill Mosley totally channeling. I mean, he, he was going full Nick Cage in that role. Oh, big time. Yeah. But then you've got Dollman, which, you know, again, Tim Thomerson being one of his regulars. Now, at this point, they had made what we call Trancher's 1.5, but we didn't get a chance to see that as we knew from the Empire era. So it was great to see Thomerson as a new character you know, really only got one film, but technically got two, as we'll get to later. Lance Henriksen and Jeffrey Combs in an Edgar Allan Poe adaptation, loose as it may be. I remember reading about Pit and the Pendulum and Fangoria, and I wanted to see this so bad. And it, it, it's weird in this movie. I don't know if this was due to the direction that they were given, but Combs plays it very sleazy, but in a sort of comedic light. Lance Henriksen is f***ing hardcore in this movie. There's a tonal issue here. Oh, big time. It, it's still, I don't know, it, it worked, though, in a way. They did feel like they were in different pictures, but there was just a, I don't know, there was a, there was just something there that, uh, that made it cool. And also, it was one of the uh, earlier introductions for me to, like, Lovecraft, so, uh, even though as- Lovecraft? Or did I say Lovecraft? I meant, uh, it, 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 Ed Brown. Pendulum's Poe, dude. I, I meant Poe. Uh, it was one of, like, filmatic, I mean, I had read, uh, like the Raven, uh, I had, I was not really particularly familiar with, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. So seeing something like this, to me, I didn't know the difference. I just thought it was cool. You know, he had the puppet master in two and three, which were, which were shot back to back. So, I mean, really when you break it down, they're one damn movie. And then you had subspecies and then trancers too. So you can see him now laying the groundwork for what Marvel and Universal and DC are trying to do right now, he had always planned an interconnected universe. Remember I talked about how Eliminators was supposed to start that whole cinematic universe thing way back in 86 in Empire. Now he finally had a chance to do it. There's no rights issues. He owns everything. Because, I mean, Dial Man was meant to appear again. Obviously, Jack Death is coming over from Empire. You've got the subspecies movies, which technically have a spin-off as well as the four main ones, and they had two other canceled sequels, plus they were meant to then appear in other movies, and you got the Puppet Masters, which later cross over with Demonic Toys. Now he's finally realizing the cinematic universe Empire wanted to make. 
Yeah, he was just ahead of his time. He really was. Uh, he, he had great ideas and, uh, it just, uh, it, it worked. I mean, he was finally kind of pulling all that together. We were reaping the benefits of that because it was something that was cool that wasn't around. And it, now it is around, but it's, it's very rare to something beyond, I mean, something outside of the comic book universes are working. I mean, Marvel's trying to make it happen. Jurassic Park is trying to do, they're trying to do like a cinematic universe with that there was some somebody else just announced they wanted to do a cinematic universe and it's just like with comic books with dc and marvel it absolutely makes sense and with something uh like the universal monsters they they did it way back in the day but they didn't call it that you know they didn't have that they were just kind of making crossover films because they knew if they cross-pollinated they would make money but now with uh with with universal trying to do it they're just rushing into it and they're doing it all wrong and uh, it's just that's why it's not working but uh, band had set it up in a way that you wanted to see these characters kind of all exist in this universe and it was cool and it was different and it was it was fun all of these movies that we just brought up and by selling even though they're not priced to sell these are selling to video stores like crazy paramount said that in some cases these movies were selling more vhs copies to video stores than some of their movies were there there were some video stores that had full moon sections that's something that you know Roger Corman and Lloyd Kaufman could have only wished. There was never a New World Pictures section at the video store. There was never a trauma section at the video store. But there was a Full Moon video section. He, he comes out with Bad Channels, which is one of my favorite Full Moon movies. I was never into the Puppet Master movies. I was never into the whole puppets and all this. So Demonic Toys, while I think it's a fun movie, I don't think... It just comes across like a, hey, what if we change the Puppet Master movies a little bit? I don't know. Demonic Toys never worked for me. I'd like Demonic Toys. I mean, I just did a video on it not too long ago. It's corny. It's uh, It doesn't have the proficiency of the Puppet Master movies. Like, the, the puppets aren't quite as memorable, and they don't get as much screen time. They're not as creepy as the uh, as the puppets. It still was, like, fun, and Tracy Scoggins was just all in. And I think I had mentioned this before, where you have a lot of actors and whatnot who will, when they'll do a horror movie, they're slumming it. Oh, uh, I did this horror movie. Where she did a horror movie because she loves horror movies and i respect the hell out of that and i respect that she even admitted she's like i did this because i love horror movies that's great so many people oh no I, I didn't do that movie and it's like oh stop acting like you're better than horror it's it's fun it's uh it's not as good as the puppet masters and it's not as memorable but it does have some really good one-liners kind of a funny element to it it's just uh it's just overall a really enjoyable film and then all of these movies, because he has Paramount's backing, as I said, they have larger budgets than a normal direct-to-video film would have. They all have a certain feel to them. He has a certain way that he shoots and lights. I mean, even though he's not directing all of these, but, you know, as a producer, right off the bat, wanted these movies to feel like a full moon movie. And I think that comes through, especially in his Doctor Strange, not Doctor Strange, Doctor Mordred movie. Now, there are different, differing accounts of this. Band has said at various times that this, he had the rights to Doctor Strange and then they had the sets built and then something happened with the rights. So they just changed it and made Dr. Mordred. And then he's also on record saying that this 
was never supposed to be a Doctor Strange movie. Doctor Mordred was just inspired by, because that was his favorite Marvel Comics character when he was growing up in Italy. There's kind of two different stories, but no matter how you take it, Doctor Mordred is direct-to-video Doctor Strange. Doctor Mordred was a better Doctor Strange movie than Doctor Strange. Either of them. Yeah, either of them. I, again, as is with a lot of full movies, I uh, did a video on Dr. Mortchard a long time ago, and Jeffrey Combs just nails it. Like, he is so charismatic and just perfect in it. And, uh, and Brian also... Thompson is not Doramamu. Oh, yeah. Brian Thompson just... In in uh, just all his scene-showing glory, uh, just killing it. He's great, and uh, I liked uh, Yvette Nepar. She, I think, I think this might have been the first movie I saw with her in it. And then uh, I, remember, you know, she was in the RoboCop TV series. She, uh, I, I liked her, and uh, just the whole universe that they kind of built within that. It, it absolutely was Doctor Strange. Just it felt right, and and is with um, the other movies. I was waiting for this. I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's another start of another great franchise. And unfortunately, with Dr. Mordred, we only ever got one. Damn it, I wanted another one. Well, his next two films, Netherworld, which I only saw once and I remember it being okay. I actually kind of like his his not-quite-invasion-of-the-body-snatchers seed people. I, I think it's a slow movie. It's kind of boring at parts. I like... Th- this is going to sound weird because it's such a, a nitpick for me to like. I like how it's lit. I, I think the way he uses the colors, I don't know, seed people, I like the way it's lit. Maybe that really makes me a film nerd. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, hell, I spent a good time talking about uh, The Relic and about how that was lit and how uh, it was intentionally dark. Like, uh, so there's... Well, there... Seed People has a lot of greens and blues. And I don't know, it just, it feels specific yeah it uh it does uh see people was one like i saw netherworld you know going back to netherworld i saw netherworld liked parts of it but that was one where i was kind of on the fence like i wasn't i wasn't crazy over the moon with it like i was with uh dr mordred and and trancers and whatnot but uh i thought it was i thought it was good i thought it was just a little bit weird and uh i didn't dislike it it's just it wasn't one that i felt the need to go back and watch over and over again and then see people the first time i like i watched it i didn't like it at all and then years later i went back and watched it again and i enjoyed it and i think i don't know what was going on i guess it was in a bad mood or something but uh, i was like this is actually like really cool uh it's got some great creature designs it's weird it's a little creepy like you said the lighting was unique and uh it was it was fun it was uh, yet another fun full moon movie it's a word i keep using over and over but it is the perfect word to describe so many of these they're fun and speaking of that now we get back into sequels we have the third transfers movie now, Trancers 2, I saw these out of order. I saw Trancers, and then I saw Trancers 3. Somehow I missed Trancers 2 at the time. So I saw Trancers 2 after 3. I like 3 better. It might not be as technically proficient, but I like Shark as a supporting character. Garrick from Deep Space Nine as a villain. Yes, I'm on board for that. For some reason, maybe it's because I saw them out of order. I like Trancers 3 the best. I love Transfers 2. Like tra- like I think that Transfers 3 is the better made of the of them. I think that it is uh It has a much bigger sense of humor. Yeah, it has a much bigger sense of humor. It's got an obviously larger budget. Uh, it's got shark. It's got a lot more going for it. But 2 
has an undeniable charm about it. It's just, uh. The whole love triangle was, was that Megan Ward again with like Meg- Helen Hunt and all that? It's like, oh man. Yeah, Megan Ward came back as his dead wife and, uh, they were doing the, you know, you know, Lena, don't jump to conclusions. Oh, you're the one who's doing all the jumping, Jack. You know, oh, it's just, it's so charming. I, I really adore, uh, Transfers 2 and Transfers 3 is good. Like, it's really good, but it just does not, for me, have as much charm as 2 does. But it's also because Transfers 2 was the first of the Transfers series that I saw, so that was when I kind of fell in love with that. But I I reckon, like, Transfers 3 is just, it's very close to being, like, the best, but Transfers 2 just has a certain something about it. And, And here's one of the weird things about Transfers 3. This is where you could start to tell Helen Hunt was doing these movies out of I'll give you one more. She's barely in Transfers 3, and you can tell this is a I'm doing this movie as a favor to you, Charlie, role. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? I respect the hell out of her for that because there are so many actors and actresses who, once they make it, they don't give the uh, give the person the time of day. They're, oh, I'm not going to do that crap anymore. And so she appeared in not just one movie, but two movies after she had already made a name for herself. So for her to go back and to do Transfers 2 and 3, for her to have a pretty big part in 2, and then just to have a small part in 3, to kind of... I think she's in five minutes of 3 total, and it's all one scene, so it was like they had her for a day. Yeah, but, I mean, but for... Because I think that they basically were like, look, we understand, you know, you're moving on. We want to write your character out. We want to give you an out. So that was kind of the thing. They gave her an out. Yeah, uh, and uh, they wrote her out of it. So I think that it was nice and respectable that she came back and did that last one. I, like, give her a lot of credit for that. Well, then we go to Arcade. I almost want to say this is the one movie of Charlie made in this era that aged the worst. The VR and the the, C, the early CGI. Arcade is fun. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying Arcade has not aged well. Conceptually, I think that the idea was ahead of its time, but the visuals, they just did not have them there. So yeah, it, uh, it, it was an unfortunate victim of that. Like going back and watching it, it's still a good time, but if you're looking at all the like VR stuff, really bad green screen, hokey, low budget CG. <sighs> Go back and look at some old, uh, you know, big budget movies from the 90s, and they're, they're gonna be just as bad. Well, now, here's where Charlie is, his relationship with Paramount is becoming strained. He was like, you know what, I'm gonna start creating these franchises within the Full Moon franchise. So all of a sudden, we have, in succession, we have Bloodstone, Subspecies 2, Dollman vs. Demonic Toys, which we'll talk about separately in a second, Mandroid, which is technically not a sequel, but has its own unofficial sequel later on, and Puppet Master 4, Robot Wars, and then Subspecies 3. So you can see, now while all these are all originals, you can see how he's going, I need to start building franchises. He could see that this relationship with Paramount had a definite end point on it. I mean, but he was smart enough to recognize that and didn't uh, didn't sit on his hands and not do anything with it. He was building all of these franchises up. To, uh, I loved it. I was more than happy to uh, to keep coming back and checking out. Okay, you know what do we got? You know, I had a uh, I had a full moon calendar that uh, I got from the uh, local blockbuster because they used to get uh, stuff in there, and uh, I knew the girl that worked there, and she gave me the full moon calendar, and it was great because it was every month. Uh, it was okay. This movie is going to come out on this day. This movie is going to come out on this day. This movie's 
going to come out on this day. It was awesome. <laughs> it was like I knew every day, every time I'd be there, you know, all right, uh, this this month it's seed people. This month it's this. This month, and I was there, you know, could not wait to see, uh, you know, what what they had that uh, that month. And then you also had, as you pointed out, every month, that was one of the things you knew, whether you kept up with the news or not, there was a new Full Moon movie every month. He made sure that every month he had a new video out on the store shelves, which is also a great way to keep brand recognition. Sometimes, okay, subspecies two and three, I enjoy the first subspecies. Two and three are not very good, and they're shot back to back, and you can tell. Robot Wars is not robot jocks, I can tell you that. Puppet Master 4 is the weakest that's been made so far up to this point. So you're kind of like, yeah, he's got new product out, but it just isn't as good quality-wise as what's come out before. Oh, you're nuts. Subspecies 2 and 3 are amazing. I like Subspecies 1 a lot, but I thought that 2 was better. Like, for some reason, there's so many of the 2s the that I love. Subspecies 2 uh, and 3, they expanded the mythology. It focused on uh, a different lead. It was, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I remember her being a much better lead than the girl who they had in the first film. It just, it was, 2 was awesome, and then they followed up with 3, and you had, so you had more with Radu, and it was focusing more on the girl who had become a vampire and she was fighting against Radu instead of like the, the kind of sissy vampire hunter who we had in the first one. Yeah, two is, is great. You're Two and three are great. You're nuts. There was one thing that started happening around this time. Remember how when he used to have the facility in Italy for Empire, he wanted to come back to Los Angeles because it was cheaper. That only lasted a couple of years. At this point, he found a facility in Romania. So for a while here, almost everything Full Moon puts out is shot in Romania. There were some films like Mandroid where he just said, we're not even going to hide this. It just It's set in Romania at this point. Okay, he gets some props for that. But then he makes one of the weirder crossover movies, Dollman vs. Demonic Toys, which obviously is a crossover between Dollman and the Demonic Toys movie. But it was also a sequel to Bad Channels. I can't think of another movie that is technically a sequel to three other movies, yet is not technically a sequel to any of those. It was very odd, it, but it made me want to, I mean, I already was going to see it regardless, but I made me want to see it more um, because it was going to be a crossover with Bad Channel. With, excuse me. It was going to be a crossover with Bad Channels. It was the wrong... Except it kind of isn't because it even screws with the continuity of Bad Channels. This is why I think it's a movie that's a sequel that's not a sequel. It screws with the continuity of Dollman, it doesn't follow the continuity of Demonic Toys, and it screws with the continuity of Bad Channels. So it wants to use the name of all those yet kind of hopes you didn't see any of the other three yeah they they kind of screwed up i really think that what happened uh i uh, if if i would have talked to uh charlie that one uh the interview i would have probably asked him that the girl who played bunny in bad channels i think just did not want to come back because she essentially did bad channels and then never uh, act i think she acted in like one short film years later but really didn't do anything else besides that we, so we, okay um we need to explain this, though. Her character is the one that got shrunk down and is supposed to be the one that's in this Dollman vs. Demonic Toys. But with the actress not coming back, they didn't simply recast the role. They changed it to a different character 
who was not shrunk down at the end of Bad Channel. That's why it almost kind of relies on, I kind of hope you didn't see Bad Channels, but we're just going to reference it anyway. You know what? I mean, I had seen Bad Channels, and I didn't care. I was like, all right, they're going to do this. I, I'm, I'm good with it, I guess. <laughs> then you had the Mandroid movie, which has a sequel in the next film that comes out, Invisible, The Chronicles of Benjamin Knight, which is actually a sequel to Mandroid, yet it's not sold as a sequel to Mandroid. I don't know if that was smart not sell them as sequels, or if maybe if you sold it as, you know, Mandroid Part 2, The Chronicles of Benjamin Knight, or whatnot. I don't know where where I feel about that one, because the movies tonally work together. Story-wise, no, because by the time you get to Invisible, again... We kind of hope you've seen Mandroid, but you weren't paying attention because we've changed the backstory again. I don't know if this is a writing problem or a production problem at this point. Probably a production problem, but I had seen them so far apart. That's one where I didn't really even notice at the time. I just I was going off of like memory. I'm like, well, I think this is kind of how this should work. See, I actually saw them backwards. I saw Invisible first, then I saw Mandroid, and then went, wait. (laughs) But again, when I rented Invisible, Chronicles of Benjamin Knight, I was unaware it was a sequel. Now, now you get the, the, the relationship with Paramount is basically over at this point. He's shooting all of his movies in Romania. He makes Lurking Fear, and then he makes what I think is, and yeah, I'm gonna say it, Oblivion is the best movie Full Moon has ever made. Oblivion, Every freaking scent is on the screen. It's funny. It's got a, a a cast to die for. It has got great direction, beautiful special effects. I love Oblivion. I just love it. Oblivion is excellent. I mean, Andrew Devoff playing, uh, I don't remember what the, what was the character's name? Red Eye. Red Eye! Red Eye. Uh, he was killing it as Red Eye. And then later he'd go on to be, you know, the Wishmaster and be just an excellent, you know, villain across the board. But, but, but this also has, you've got Meg Foster as like a cyborg deputy, Moonstavander just stealing it as backlash to the point where she takes over the sequel. You've got Isaac Hayes as like a space drug dealer. You've got like five different Star Trek cast members, uh, in there, scripted by Peter David. Just, Oblivion, everything came together at this one moment. Oblivion was magical. Oblivion was an excellent film. I kind of wished I waited to, uh, to to do a video on that, because I think that the video I did for it didn't quite give it enough justice. And, and strangely enough, because then there's Oblivion 2 Backlash in 1996. Now, I don't know if this was a special effects thing or if, because this is the Paramount split happens right in the middle here. These movies, Oblivion and Oblivion 2, were shot back to back, yet somehow came out two years apart. And you know Charlie Band is not going to sit on a completed film for two years. No, no, no. So something happened with this was shot in 94 and didn't come out till 96, which was really strange. Here was the thing. I brought up Oblivion was written by Peter David. Well, he wrote the second one as well, and he wasn't as happy. He told me when I interviewed him that... He had, he thought working with Charles Band would be a fantastic relationship. Cause he said everything he wrote made it on the screen. And some of the stuff looked better than he could have imagined it. So he said when he wrote Oblivion, he's like, Charlie is a man of his word. And then when he got to Oblivion 2, he's like, there are pages missing. But he'd already written, and this is still a little bit down the line, Transfers 4 and 5, which he basically wanted to take his name off of. So he doesn't know what happened, but, you know, it was like a great first date, 
and then everything after that was Crazy X time. It's a shame. <laughs> Who knows, you know? Just something got lost in there. Well, in here, we also have Lurking Fear, and then what I think is an almost atypical Charles Band movie, Dark Angel The Ascent. It still feels like a full moon film, but it's a little more serious. Because the full moon catalog, even if they're, you know, killing women and gutting them and stuff like that, there's a weird sense of, like, grindhouse B-movie fun to it. Dark Angel's relatively serious. Which makes it feel, which makes it stick out, doesn't it? Yeah, Dark Angel, I mean, it has some comedic elements to it, but it definitely- Tonally, it's a very serious film. Tonally, it is very serious, because it's so, it, it is very odd. The first time I saw it, I was thinking, I'm like, wow, this, this doesn't feel like your traditional full moon movie, and I've, I've come to really enjoy it, but yeah, it definitely is, is a very standout. It's very different from, uh, like previous things and then and then he comes out with puppet master five the final chapter <laughs> yeah we all know that that's not going to stick yeah though that, that old gag well because this was supposed to be the final one for paramount and then we go to shrunken heads we've got castle freak which strangely enough i've only ever seen censored i saw that one on the sci-fi channel so i don't know if castle freak's actually good or not you've got demon in a bottle which is honestly pretty decent and then to end out, because like I said, he, he was constantly changing what the company was called. I don't know if it was strictly rebranding or maybe for tax purposes. To finish out Full Moon Entertainment, we have Transfers 4 and 5, which I think are cluster f***s of a monumental scale. They're so bad, I don't even want to consider them Transfers movies. And like I said, writer Peter David and David Nutter, great director. You can't see any of his style on this. Transfers 4 and 5 feel like inferior product made to make product. I don't know what happened. Like, 4, I was I was kind of, you know, I was like, okay, they're going to do the goes back in time thing, all right. I'm watching it, and I was like, all right. You know, it was really, it was short even for a full moon movie. Because 4 and, and 5 were shot back to back essentially as one film that they cut in two. Right, that they split in two. But it feels like that, too. Yeah, it, it very, it's just very odd. Like, it does, uh, it does, and there was the gap between the two. So then going back and watching it, and like you said, David Nutter, especially, he, yeah, he's a great director. He's, he's None of than, his style is in this, is None it? of his style is there. It does not, like, if you were to say this was a David Nutter movie and it was written by Peter David and you didn't know that, you'd be like, you know what the hell out of here? So... I like them to a certain degree, but they are so, like, it is such a steep drop off the cliff after three, because one is is Empire, and it's got its own charm. Two is just wonderful. Three is wonderful. And then four and five, it's such a departure that I I, I don't know what happened. There's got to be a story in there somewhere. Peter David says that he kind of was sniffing when he was sniffing around and I'm paraphrasing so I'm not quoting Peter David here but he he kind of got the 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 smell in the air that the company was under financial constraints and you can kind of tell with this you know all Romanian crew unless it's one of the name actors it's all Romanian cuz he he did a comic buyer's guide but I digress column when these movies were being made when he went over there and he saw corners being cut every place that they could be cut. Caliban, the main villain of 4 and 5, was supposed to be played by Ron Perlman, but they couldn't afford Ron Perlman. You could see financial problems were starting to pop up. At this time, Band is coming under a lot of pressure from some some people that he'd worked for worked with 
under at Empire, but there were quite a few people that were accusing him of not paying royalties, taking their credits off of films so they can't get so they won't get future royalties of re-editing their movies, which in the Empire era, remember, he tended to make the movies better. Not so much here. In a lot of cases, especially with people like Paul Lamatt and that, he he basically says Charlie wrecked our films. And then when they would eventually see the director's cuts, he'd go, here's proof, you know, David Schmoller and people like that. So I don't know if it was just financial, but Charlie's reputation in this era is not the most stand up. Yeah, that's a it's a bummer. Uh, I guess it, it's just it's a weird business. And unfortunately, uh, it was rearing its ugly head. And then he, like I said, he'd lost the Paramount deal by this point. So the budgets went down somewhat. So he rebranded as Full Moon Studios for one picture, The Vampire Journals, which is a spin-off of the subspecies movies. So it's, it is and it's not, strangely enough. And then he would rebrand again as Full Moon Pictures. Next week we'll look at the sub-label stuff, because he had a bunch of sub-labels at this time too to do full moon things that weren't full moon. He had like Moonbeam Entertainment, which was a line for children and teenagers. He had Torchlight Entertainment, which was softcore porn. He had Monster Island Entertainment, Phil Monsters Entertainment, Alchemy Entertainment, Edge Entertainment, and Cult Video. So we'll look at all those next week. He 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 had these other things that we don't consider full moon, but really for all intents and purposes are. But then when he goes to full moon pictures, the quality just isn't there anymore. I mean, you've got Head of the Family, which is decent. you got The Creeps, which is decent. Hideous, which is decent. But here's where the problems start to come about. you got Petticoat Planet, which is crap. The one we mentioned earlier, Curse of the Puppet Master, which is a glorified clip show. You've got Shrieker, which is not so great. You've got Subspecies 4, which is universally considered the worst one. You've got Blood Dolls, Boy with the X-Ray Eyes, Killer Eyes, Retro Puppet Master, Witch House, Killjoy. You've got Witch House 2. He's not putting out the movies we remember full moon for putting out at this point is he i think that there was definitely like a dip but uh there uh, it's it's a mixed bag like some of them i think were good uh some of them were bad uh it's just like in the early full moon days it was just home run after home run and then it did just take a a a drop off of a uh (laughs) i said it before a drop off a cliff so they weren't like even when they were bad like they still were watchable like i still enjoyed them to a certain degree but uh they definitely were not the the same ones that uh they had prior it just uh, for whatever reason you know uh, financial most likely was why uh they they just took a dip It was around this time he started making deals with TV. We have to point out these movies would play, you know, they were made for the direct-to-video market, but full moon movies fit in just fine on late-night Cinemax and even some UHF channels for some of the more tamer stuff. He made made a deal with Sci-Fi Channel. I saw a lot of these show up on Sci-Fi Channel to the point where, remember, he even had a TV series on Sci-Fi Channel that would just show his movies. Remember William Shatner's Full Moon Fright Night? Oh, my God. You forgot about that, didn't you? Until you mentioned it, it was uh, out of sight, out of mind. So, yeah, William Shatner was hosting horror host style, I think it was every Friday or Saturday night, showing edited versions of Full Moon movies with William Shatner's shtick. And he would have guests on, you know, the stars and things like that. Strangely enough, I actually enjoyed Full Moon Fright Night. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I, I kind of dug the uh, the horror host 
thing, uh, you know, coming off of uh, with like Joe Bob and uh, and Shatner uh, did not take it seriously at all, and that added a lot of fun to it. Oh yeah, well it's good that he did because uh, it probably wouldn't have worked if he uh, if he was trying to take it too seriously. And that's some of the best horror hosts are the ones that are very tongue in cheek about it. It was around this time that. I don't know if it was just financial, but as Charlie explains, the the bottom dropped out of the home video market. We're not into the streaming era yet. When DVDs started coming in, rental stores were not ordering as many copies. The market had kind of fallen out. He was under some severe financial problems at this point. And then he made stuff like Trancer 6, the one that Tim Thomerson's not even in. Oh, well, technically he is, but it's archive footage from some of the older films. You've got the Trancer 6, which, okay, idea-wise... I kind of like what they did. With the whole Jack being able to be sent down the line into a relative, this time you actually could explain why it's the same character, but it's not Tim Thomerson. He's sent back into the body of his own daughter, and so you've got a teenage girl trying to be Jack Death with the whole gruff attitude. That could have been funny. God, Trancher 6 is hard to sit through, isn't it? I think that they saw that it worked with uh, McNulty, because they had sent him back, and he was down, you know, he went down the he line. He was a 12-year-old girl, and that was hilarious. Yeah, it worked. Uh, he was a 12-year-old girl in two, and then he was a 16, 17-year-old girl in, or no, no, no. He was a 12-year-old no, girl, girl in one. one. And then he was a 16, 17-year-old girl in two. And uh, so it was like, yeah, it was funny. And I think that was kind of what they were going for. They're like, okay, well, we could maybe do the Jack Death. Uh, gender swap thing and see if they uh, if if we can make it work. And the problem was you could do the that with it. Was terrible. Well, the script was ter- The script wasn't good, but like you can replace another character. You could have McNulty as somebody else, but having Jack Death, you needed like Tim Thomerson. Like you can't. There's just nobody else that can do Tim Thomerson better than Tim Thomerson. Band is also trying to create new franchises now. I mean, he's still, you know, shoveling out at this point the utter crap that is the Puppet Master series. Killjoy was really supposed to take off. You can tell in the Killjoy movies, there's three of them, I believe, he really wanted these to be a new franchise character. Audience really didn't care. There was three Witch House movies. These really do not work. I don't know if it just the groove was gone, if maybe by this point in the early 2000s, we had changed as an audience. Man, none of these things that are meant to be franchises are working for me. I think Killjoy is okay. I mean, it obviously did well enough that they made at least three of them. You know, I mean, so it technically was a franchise still. Well, and then he rebrands again in 2003 to Full Moon Features. And this is where we're basically into the dregs. Because here, see, they used to be shot on video. And then he would do a process called film look to it. Which is why, remember how we said Full Moon movies all felt like they were part of the Full Moon banner? That's because... Being shot on a specific type of videotape and then being given film look gave them that... It was like a weird transition. It didn't look like film, but it definitely didn't look like video either. And that's no longer the case. He can't afford film look anymore. 
So these things just look like direct-to-video crap at this point. You've got more Puppet Master movies being shit out. You've got his two new franchises, the Ginger Dead Man and the Evil Bong franchise, which I find both just detestable. These things are unwatchably bad to me. And then you've got the Killer Eye stuff. Okay, the Killer Eye stuff is somewhat funny. Oh, actually, I was wrong. They did make a fourth. I didn't even know Killjoy Goes to Hell in 2012 existed. I don't know if this is desperate, but he started doing the crossover thing again. The Evil Bong movies are now crossing over with the Ginger Dead Man movies because f*** you as an audience. The Ginger Dead audience, or the Ginger Dead audience, the Ginger Dead Man, the first one at least, had a big buzz behind it. Because at the time, Gary Busey was kind of the laughing stock. And having him play a pissed off, back from the dead, gingerbread man, a la Chucky, but, you know, with the uh, puppets and having his voice, people were going nuts for that. Like, I remember people that weren't really even into, like, horror movies and whatnot were like, oh, my God, have you seen this Ginger Dead Man movie? So it had a lot of uh, crossover appeal into the mainstream. And so I don't blame them for trying to uh, to make that a thing. And it did, you know, it did become a thing until they couldn't afford Busey anymore. But, uh, it, it was kind of the same way with the Evil Bong movies. Okay, you got an Evil Bong, you got Tommy, Tommy Chong. Chong. After a while, you can't even afford him anymore yeah so uh i i don't know i think that uh they are kind of like the the other ones they're they're hit or miss there's some that are just really good there's some that just aren't they don't work go back and watch the other uh the other evil bongs i'm just curious especially to see like the early one with tommy chung and then how you know how far down the road it got to by uh by number six the first one also, it's not really a crossover. Jack Death appears in it in a, in a hallucination sequence, and it's actually Tim Thomerson. So technically it's a Trancers crossover as well, although it is a hallucination. So maybe. Oh, and I just found out in 2016 they made a, another Killjoy movie, Killjoy Psycho Circus. I don't know a single person that likes the Killjoy movies, but they keep making them. Hey man, somebody has to like it or they wouldn't keep making them. Well, and then, and then he's got his new series, his new uh, web series, Raven Wolf Towers, which I haven't finished, but I, I'm sorry, Charlie, you were so nice to me and I love your stuff, but I find Raven Wolf Towers to be unwatchably bad. It it almost feels like like a parody of what a web series should be, except to hear people talk about it, it's meant to be serious. Ravenwolf Towers is awful. I can't say. I, that's one I haven't seen yet, unfortunately. Full Moon has had a, a, a very storied history. Full Moon's had its ups, it's had its downs. I think the last few years have not felt like Full Moon, although Charlie's been trying. You can tell he's 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 trying to bring this stuff back. I mean, hell, in 2004, he tried to shoot a movie, Dr. Moreau's House of Pain, on 35mm again. Didn't work, but he tried to. So you, you can see that his ideas are still there, just the money's not. In the streaming era, he's outright said, there's no money in this. You cannot make money on these movies in the streaming era. As you and I have talked about in numerous episodes, there is no money in this era anymore. Streaming has killed the the fact that he could spend even half a million dollars on a film anymore. He's like, if I want to make my money back, I can't spend more than a hundred grand. You just can't. It, it, it's streaming has driven the budget down to the point where it almost killed full moon for a while. 
because for a while their full moon was essentially dead until they came back a little bit because the evil bong films have a audience and strangely enough those films saved the the studio next week we're going to talk about all the sub labels and the and all the unmade empire and full moon movies to end up band month for right now here is a quick word from charles band speaking of the video store Full Moon was a pretty early adopter. I mean, I, yeah, you had Wizard Video prior to this, but Full Moon jumped on the VHS trend as it came out. And from what mm-hmm. I could see, you guys did pretty damn well on the VH in the direct VHS market. Yeah, we we did. I mean, we were pretty much the. I mean, I used to look at us sort of like the Marvel Comics of the '90s. I mean, I was a big Marvel Comics fan when they started coming out in the '60s, and and. Um, you know, I mean, had we had more money and business didn't, again, sort of change to some degree for the worse in the mid to late 90s, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of plans to cross over, to team up, and to do things much like you know, what Marvel Comics did so well. But yeah, for probably the first three or four years of Full Moon, we were distributed by Paramount. We had one success after the other. Great. And did well for Paramount. And, and uh, but again, the business kept changing, you know, then the DVDs sort of happened and VHS world diminished and everybody and their mother got involved in, in what was, you know, I mean, it's not like any of this was a secret, but, you know, there was a lot of competition and a lot of VHS and then DVDs on the shelves, you know, at the very beginning of this business. I was there day one. It was a real seller's market. You know, as, as this thing exploded, it was, you know, retailers wanted to fill up those store shelves. And it was even a brief era when I, when I, when I released some of the movies I acquired in Europe, um, the big wizard video box films. But that, that lasted not even two years because first the retailers loved the big boxes and fans loved them and more room to put awesome art. But within a few years, the shelves, you know, video store shelves were getting full and it was just too much shelf space for these big, big, big boxes. So that trend sort of turned around. But I think by the end of 82 or 83, we had maybe released 50 movies in those big, big box uh, style. So uh, it's interesting how the business keeps changing and changing. But yeah, the direct-to-video business, you know, we were making about a movie every month. Paramount did a great job of promoting it. And many, many video stores across the country had full moon sections, which was also cool. Fans really kind of grew to know that, yeah, that every month there's a full moon film. It's going to be pretty good. And we started doing some sequels to movies of like Puppet Master and Subspecies and Dollman and Demonic Toys. So, yeah, there was a real, there was a three or four year time there where, where the direct video business was, I think we were certainly amongst the top two or three who kind of knew how to do it. And the other thing I invented, which people still talk about today, which back in the day I just thought it was cool, is being a fan. And a fan of, you know, Marvel Comics especially, I thought, well, you know, I think the fans are going to enjoy getting a little glimpse of how these movies are made and behind the scenes and how the effects are done. So literally by the second release back in 1990 or early 91, second full moon release, and these are, we were shipping 100,000 plus units every month to the video stores across the country. I did the, what we call back then the video zone, which was essentially, you know, a making of video magazine of, you know, all that stuff. And we were the very first ones to do it, and we got just an enormous amount of really cool fan mail. They'll say, oh, my God, I love whatever. I love the doll man. It was awesome. But I think I love the videos on more and keep them coming. You know, people have to know that at the end of that VHS tape, they had to get past the end titles, and then there'd be like a 20-minute video magazine that we did on every single release. So that was kind of cool, too. I think it kind of brought people more into the, uh, the full moon uh, tent. How would you sum up full moon? As a complete company from 1989, technically, but for all intents and purposes, 1990 through 2017, which, you know, the last thing that they put out was the Ravenwolf Towers. So 
what how, how do you sum up full moon's 27 year history I love Full Moon. Like, even if their, uh, stuff now is not as good as their old stuff, they will always have a special place in my heart. Um, like, I will always give them a chance. Like, I keep coming back to their movies. And even though, like I said, with, uh, some of the ones like the Evil Bong and Killjoy and whatnot, they weren't, uh, really to my liking, but, I feel like I just have to keep going back and keep hoping that uh, we're going to get uh, some old full moon stuff. And I know that uh, there's a push. There's a lot of people that are like, you know, we want to see, uh, you know, the ghoulies return. We want to see that kind of full moon. So maybe eventually there'll be the right, you know, uh, everything will kind of strike at the right time. We'll get the right amount of um, money and timing and they'll get an actor involved and, and things will just take off and we'll get uh, uh, that again. But I, it is true. It's a, it's a different time now, so it is much harder to stand out in the uh, in the home market. So I love Full Moon. I don't care if if they if they keep making. Well, I shouldn't say if, I don't care if they keep making movies. But what I'm saying is that if they continue making movies, I am ex- I will continue watching them. And if they decide to stop movie watching their movies, I still will always go back to their older stuff and will watch them. You know, indefinitely. To me, it's kind of painful to see where Full Moon ended up because you know it, it. It's kind of like when you used to love a play a Playboy centerfold, and then you see her when she's a grandmother of three, and you're like, "Yee!" Because I look back at stuff like Crash and Burn and Transfers Three and Subspecies, they don't even feel like the same thing as Killjoy goes Killjoy Psycho Circus and Evil Bong Six. They don't even feel like the same company made these. It's a different world. A lot can happen in 27 years. On that note, next week we'll be talking about the non-Full Moon Full Moon. And by that, we'll be talking about all of those sub-labels and some of the films in those. And unmade Empire and Full Moon productions. Some kind of got made, some didn't, some were scrapped, some were literally ideas with posters, and that was it. There's a lot. We literally will have no problem next week, Cecil. Filling an entire episode on all the movies Full Moon and Empire didn't make. Hey, maybe they might be able to, um, you know, make them, like, that'll be the comeback. They'll be able to take all their old movies that didn't get made and make them now. Actually make Journeys Through the Dark Zone in that? I would be all for it. If if I had, if if I won the lottery or something, I would absolutely invest in uh, getting Full Moon back on their feet. The one I want to see the most that never got made, and it couldn't today. Well, actually, it could with the whole VHS comeback thing. The softcore porno cassettes he tried to make in 1986. The the, the one about uh, pornos on... In movie, it was supposed to be pornos on VHS become reality. And I'm like, you know what? I want to see cassettes. I'm actually really pissed off. Because I've, I've got an original ad slick of cassettes. I want to see that movie, man. I think you just want that to happen in reality. That's not unfair. <laughs> so on that note, where can we find Cecil T? You can find me at uh, Good Bad Flicks on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch, uh, as well as GoodBadFlicks.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.